Hey, let's pray. God, um, that, that song is exactly what I pray our prayer is, each and every one of us, that you would, that you would mark us up, that you would write your story in our hearts and then use that um, to influence the world, to change things. And we want to be a part of that we want to be individually, but we want to be part of that together. And that's, um, that's why we're here today. I mean, it's, it's what we hope to grow in today. So we invite you by your spirit to, to teach us and lead us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so here's the deal. Normally when I teach a, a message, I'm going to give, you, give away something. One of the things I always try to do is tell you why it matters. What's at stake? Because if we don't think it matters, then why bother coming? If we don't think it matters, we'll just hear another message and throw it in the waste paper basket on the way out. But if we go, no, this really matters, um, then we, we engage more fully. And usually I do that towards the end of the message. You can start to diagram my messages. You'll see that. Then I go, this matters because of this. So normally in the beginning, I just give you some kind of illustration, something to suck you in uh, to the message. Today I'm going to turn that all upside down and go, let's talk about what's at stake right from the beginning of the message. And it's, there's two groups of us in the room. And it's not like, you know, two groups of different Minnesotans and Wisconsins. That would be irreconcilable, but, <laughs> but it's two groups of people that um, they're here. There, there's those of us in the room who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. So there's different things at stake. So for those of you who are following Jesus, I'm going to tell you what's at stake with this entire series. It is called saltiness, right? This other Bible refers to it. It is, um, it is whether you are what Jesus called you and me to be as followers of Jesus. Let me take you back to Matthew 5:13. Jesus is teaching people who want to follow him, and he looks at them and he says, "You are the salt of the earth. But what good is what what not what good is salt if it has lost its flavor?" By the way, did you know that really salt doesn't lose its flavor? I mean, it's just salt. Salt always tastes like salt. It's almost it's, he's speaking hyperbolically. It's it's. You know, if it lost its salt, if almost if it lost its flavor, can you make it salty again? No, salt should never lose its flavor. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, if you mix salt with a bunch of dirt, you're going to throw it out because you'll never separate it out, kind of thing. But this is what he's saying. His main point is not what salt does. By the way, you're going to hear people teach messages in your life about salt, and it's a preservative, and it's this, and it's that. It makes people thirsty. Can I just tell you the bottom line to it is it influences something else. We sprinkle it in things to make it taste differently or hopefully better, and no, that's way too much salt. Or we preserve things with it, whatever it is. The bottom line is salt is there to influence. And so the saltiness is what's at stake here, but it's more than that, or at least Jesus said, let me stretch it out a little bit more, use another metaphor. And he goes, it's not just saltiness, let's use light as an example. Because right after he said, you are the salt of the earth, he said, you are the light of the world. The, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. There's, there's there'd be no point to that. You got a light, you're, you're trying to see things, where to go, how to walk. You cover it up. Why not just turn it off if you're going to cover it up? And that's what he's saying. He says, no one does that. No, you light a lamp to influence your environment so you can see where you're going and what you're going to do. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds, which really means your life, it's not those helping little old ladies across the street. We tend to think very specific when we hear good deeds. It's let your life um, shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Catch that last part? 
so that everyone would be influenced to praise your heavenly Father. It's a change. So, so what? if you're a follower of Jesus, this really matters because we're called to not just get saved and go to heaven, but to live our lives in such a way that it influences the world, right? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you're going, wow, all these people are trying to influence me. It's kind of scary. I understand that. But this message matters to you too. It matters to everybody. And here's why. Someday you will not be as young as you are now. Someday you're going to look back and the majority of your life you're going to know is behind you. And in that day, you're probably going to ask some questions like, what was my life about and what difference did it make? And, and it could be a, a moment of regret for you or it could be a moment of celebration for you. And it depends a little bit on how you engage in the things that we're going to be talking about today. My former senior pastor, who was about 20, 25 years older than me, he and I got along so great. Gene Follis, if you know who he, who he is. And we got along so great. But we used to sit together sometimes and he'd go, you know, Doug, someday we're going to be in a nursing home, right? And I looked at him and I go, well, not together, you know. <laughs> I like to make a point that he's going to go first. Anyway, he goes, and he says, what do you think we'll be regretting as we bang our old canes on the floor? You know, and, and, I, and he goes, you know what it won't be? It won't be that we didn't spend more time at the office. Oh, if only I would have spent more time at the office. If only I would have missed more of my kids' activities. If only I didn't love my wife so much. It won't be that stuff, right? What, what it's going to be is maybe, you know, why didn't I invest? Why did I influence? And the evaluation that we do is, did my life really matter? Did I really make a difference? Or did I just consume and did I just earn money and did I just eat and go on vacations? Did I live my life as a tourist or did I live my life in a way that actually influenced the world. And I think it doesn't, you don't have to be a Christian for that. I think every single person that's in our DNA, that we don't want to get to the ends of our lives and go, so what really mattered and have zero answers for it? And that's what's at stake for every single person in the room, Christian or not a Christian, right? We want to influence, to impact other people's lives. And if you don't yet, it means you're not a parent. Because as soon as you become a parent, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I do. I want to influence this, this, this life. So what we're going to be talking about today to start off with is almost a little bit of a seminar on the, on the dynamics of influence. Okay? And I learned this uh, back when I was in my 20s. I worked in a, in a um, home for semi-juvenile delinquents down the Dominican Republic. And we, we were trying to influence these young lives who had gone off in different weird directions and uh, trying to bring them to a better place and influence. So we talked about, well, how do we influence lives and kind of found out that there's really three dynamics that I've developed over the years and built on. Here's the first one. Influence dynamics, number one, is respect. And it just means this. The more you respect someone, the likelier they are to be an influence for you to allow them to be an influence. When I think of respect, I get an image of someone saluting. Right now, there's there's different kinds of salutes, and I don't go bad places there. But it's like it's like I salute you because you're in a position of authority. That's one kind of a salute. That's kind of a low level of respect. It's just a positional thing. I salute you because you're a person I respect for who you are, your integrity, your character, right? And sometimes it's both. Not only and this is a big win. You have the position of authority, and I know you deserve it. I know you're worthy of it. 
And that's a whole other kind of, of salute that can take place. We don't know from a picture which one that is because we know that, that um, very official-looking guy with all the medals is probably getting saluted because of his position. But he's probably also getting saluted because there's actual respect. And that's the key word. It's respect. People we respect, we almost, we, we, we invite their influence into our lives because we admire them, we esteem them, we hold a high opinion of them. And we're, we're evaluating everybody for respect. You can't help but do you respect them or don't you respect them? It's just part of how we're wired up in, in our relationships. The second dynamic is exposure. Now, when I think of exposure, you probably don't think this if you're, if you're young, but I think of a camera. And the reason I think that is because there's this thing called film <laughs> and a camera. And back in the day, when I was a little guy, right, when I was a yearbook photographer um, for high school, I had to understand the dynamics. So there's two things going on in a camera. One is the shutter speed. It's like a little trap door that opens wide open and lets light in to hit the film. The, and, and the longer that's open, you know, you get 30th of a second, 60th of a second, 250th, 1,000th, you know, that kind of stuff. Right? The longer it's open, the more, more exposure there is. That's a time element. There's more. But then there's the aperture. Right? And the aperture is what you see there, that little circle. That can be altered. You turn a little dial and it goes open or it goes closed. And you let lots of light in for that time that the shutter is open. Or you let a controlled amount of light in for the time. That and, and when you combine those two things together, you create the kind of exposure you get. And it creates different effects on the pictures you're taking. And now you've had your photography lesson. How does it go to our lives? Other people are the film. And, and, and you know, people we're influencing. And, by the way, we're the film for other people. Right? So if, if your parents were with you growing up or if they abandoned you, that's an exposure issue. And, and it will change how much you allow people to influence you. It's hard to let people influence you who don't have a lot of exposure. I think of the aperture part you know, I, th I think of the, the, the shutter speed as being the amount of time you spend with another person. The aperture part is how much they let you in, right? How transparent they are about their lives. So there's respect and exposure, and the last one is love. It's love. And, and, and the bottom line to it is when you think, when you know someone cares about you and authentically loves you, Right? They don't have to be in love with you. We're not talking about that. They don't have to be your mom and dad and have that kind of love for you. But when the person you're meeting with has an appropriate amount, an authentic, I care about you, I love you, I want the best for you, you're much more willing, and I'm much more willing to listen. I'm much more willing to, to be influenced by that person because I know they want my best. So those are the three dynamics, respect and exposure and love. And when you start to go through your life and think about who's influenced you, I promise you, you can measure it out. In fact, I'm going to show you that in just a few minutes of how that works together. But when they're off, out of balance with each other, it kind of changes the kind of influence you're going to have. So if all you have is respect for someone, by the way, we're going to use the color blue for respect. So remember that blue is respect. When you have, when all you have is respect, you get influence without a relationship, right? Because, because love is a relational element, right? And, and um, being, ex you know, exposure is a relational element. It's about time together. And, and this happens all the time, by the way. It's heroes and athletes, actors and authors. It's people you don't know, but you know about them, right? So rewind your clock to 13 years old you. Right? Did you have posters in your room, 13 years old? Were they... Were they, some of you was probably athletes, some of you was rock stars, some of you was models, whatever it is, actors, actresses. And some of those people you knew a little bit about, 
and you wanted to be like them. In fact, you changed your dress style to, to kind of match up to it. You changed the way you speak, maybe. You sang just like them. You, wanted to, you imagined yourself being them as you threw the football in your backyard and the clock was ticking down. It's those kinds of, you know, they don't know you. They don't love you. You have no exposure, really. Um, but you have respect. And it gets out of balance. By this way, when, when, when football players and basketball, professional athletes and actors and actresses say, well, we're not role models, yes, you are. You're not good role models. You know, you're not, you don't, we don't know enough about you to know if you're good or bad. But you, I'm sorry, you, all you have is respect, but that makes you influential, right? So we won't go on with that one. If all you have is exposure, right? We're going to use the color yellow for exposure, so think about that, yellow for exposure. If all you have is exposure, you have influence, but we don't know what direction it's going to go in, right? Because there's no, no respect and there's no love. It can go any direction. Well, who, who has this kind of influence on us? It's any group. Any group that you're with, not because you choose them, but because you're just thrust into the group. So it's the gang you grew up with. By the way, that's why parents care about the neighborhoods they live in. They kind of want to know, what's the kid culture here? Right? Because they're going to be with the gang and they're going to be influenced by them. Um, coworkers. You're just thrust into a group of coworkers and teammates. Uh, those kinds of situations. You don't necessarily respect them. You don't necessarily love them. But you're going to be with them a lot. And they're going to influence you. And you, you can't help it. Right? So I had a friend in, um, in high school who was one of the guys. His name was Sean. And Sean, about 15 years old, got a job at the dairy. And in the dairy, the language was colorful and and, um, you know, not on the Christian side sort of thing, right? And he came back to, and we weren't a Christian group, it's just friends. He came back, and we're hanging out with him, and all of a sudden, about every fifth word, he's dropping the, the bomb into the sentence, right? Into, to the words, and you know which bomb I'm talking about, right? And he would, and it's like, over and over again, and that wasn't, I mean, we weren't prudes, and we weren't good, we, were, and we did lots of things we shouldn't have done, but we didn't do that. And so one of my friends looks at Sean and he goes, Sean, you sound like an idiot, <laughs> right? And he, he goes, quit doing that. Why is that happening? And he goes, oh, I don't, I'm just been down. And he said it. It's how they talk at the dairy. And it's influence. He doesn't want to be like those guys. He doesn't respect those guys. He doesn't want to be a lifetime dairy guy. No, nothing's wrong with working the dairy. Apologies to you. But he, it's not for him, right? But, but the language that he picked up on the floor became his language. And it was just the influence. Um, I, for myself, when I went to uh, the school for learning how to get my spiritual life together before I went to college type of thing, the leader of it, when he would pray, he'd say, oh, Lord, God. And then he would purse his lips. And then he'd pray more. And then he'd, and I started to, I caught myself praying with pursing my lips. And one day I go, why am I pursing my lips? And the answer is because of the association with that guy. It influenced me. And somehow I thought pursing your lips made God listen more to your prayers, which is so silly. Let me give you one more that you've, you've seen. Yell out the sport, and then we'll talk about it. Here you go. What's the sport? Basketball. Right. What do those three guys have in common? Beards. Now, if you got a beard, I'm going to ask your forgiveness right now. Right? Soccer players with ugly beards? Really, those should be the cleanest cut guys in the world. Baseball players, and they're all, and why is this? Right, it's not, like they, it's not like they're all hanging out together. It's not like they respect each other. It's just they're part of a culture that is growing beards now, right? 
Even hockey players, they grow beards and lose their teeth. It's a just... <laughs> It's wrong, I tell you. It's wrong. But anyway, it's, 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 it's just that influence, right? But it's just from exposure. It's from being together. So you get influenced, but you don't, it, can go any, it can make you grow beards and purse your lips. You just don't know where it's going to go, right? So last one, if all you have is love. If all you have is love. Well, you almost have a Beatles song is what you're thinking. If all you have is love, um, you're going to have influence, but it's going to be limited to warm emotions. Right? You're just going to be this hug person and this love person, but you won't have any substance to, the, to your influence. This is a lot of grandparents who never, they just, whatever you do is fine, and they love their grandchildren. I just love you, and that's awesome, it's awesome, but there could be more, right? And it's aunts and uncles who just love. I couldn't think of other people who just give you that unconditional um, love. And unconditional love is great, it's great. But for influence, you want more. Right? You want more than just respect, more than just exposure, and more than just love. You want all three of those things. And when they all come together, you get the sweet spot right here where you get your most powerful influence in, in each other's lives. And the people who have influenced you the most and the best are people that you have respect for, you've had exposure with, and you know they love you. Right Now, you can diagram this, which is so cool. Right? You can... You can think of a person who's, and, and the effect they've had in your life, they, and all of us have been influenced by other people. So I did that just a little bit to show you how it could, could look, right? So here's one, and what you see is this person had all kinds of love for me, right? That's the red, that's love, right? And I had some, not that much exposure, that's the yellow part, and I had some respect for them, but not an overwhelming amount of respect. And that person is my maternal grandmother, Right? She lived in Toronto, so I didn't see her that often. We lived in Minnesota, so I didn't see her that often. But I knew this woman, she was that unconditional love. She was a follower of Jesus. She was great. Right? And, and she, I had respect for her in many, many, many ways, but I didn't have a lot of exposure to her because she lived so far away. And yet, she was influential in my life because you look at that and you go, oh, you didn't have all three big. No, but, but she was a big influence because she had all three. Right? So let me take another one. This person I had all kinds of respect for, and I had an awful lot of love for, and I had a limited exposure. And that is her husband, my maternal grandfather. Right? Why did I have respect for him? Because he would engage me intellectually. My grandma never did that. He would talk about life and God and future and what's important, what's not important, theology. He was, he was just, and without judging, and he would make me think, and he would share his thoughts with me. And it was, it, it was a trifecta, right? So it was so influential in my life. I didn't, it's not, I didn't worship him, but I absolutely, I loved him. And there were things about his life I wanted to be true of my life. He had a tremendous influence in my life. Let me show you another one. You notice how small it is, right? So this person I didn't have, I mean, I had respect for, but not, I didn't, it's not overwhelming, right? I have very little exposure and I wasn't sure about the love. And this was my dad's father, my paternal grandfather. He, too, lived in Canada. We built a wall and kept all my relatives north of it. Um, and the world is grateful. And, uh, but here's the deal with this my grandfather. He was really stoic and well-educated. And kids he didn't engage with. 
you really didn't become a person he wanted to spend much time with or talk to until you hit about 23, 24, 25. And I understand that's when you finally get some brains. It's, that's how it works. But, but when I was a kid growing up, I didn't know he loved me. He wouldn't engage with me. He was distant. He's all logic and reason and, and, and no warmth. And by the time I got to 25, he was too old. He had lost some of his faculties. He, the senility kicked in, and I didn't have the chance to do what my older brother did. He, my older brother would give you a completely different story. I've connected with him. He was highly influential in my life. All this kind of, I didn't get that. And it's by virtue of, of how he treated me when I was a kid, right? And I blame him, not me, of course. Let me show you one more. This one is all love. I couldn't even put it on the screen, right? And huge amount, huge amount of exposure, that yellow, right? And a pretty good amount of respect because that's what every son should have for his mother, right? So my mom, my, my mom didn't get the same level of respect my dad did, but that is a very influential picture. You know, this, this love and tons of exposure. Now, think if she was my mom and there was no red there. Tons of exposure, some respect, but no love. I promise you my mom would have been influential. If I had very little exposure to my mom, but she loved me from afar, it would really reduce it. If I had no respect, she might have a lot of love and she might have a lot of exposure, but if I have zero respect, I promise you I'm not going to let her influence me in a positive way. I'll probably try to be everything she's not. I mean, go the opposite direction. This is why some of us have mommy and daddy issues. We're fighting against the influence our parents wanted to have on us, and we're going, well, I'm not going to be like you, that's for sure. And we need to see counselors if that's where we're at. All right, so let me give you another one. There's no love. ton of respect and a little bit of, of exposure. This is Andy Stanley. <laughs> right? To me. Right? Who's Andy Stanley? Well, he's a, he's, he leads a bigger church in Atlanta, a very large church. He's very, Im- uh, let's do the word, he's influential to some people. Right? He's popular and he's articulate and he's logical and he's, he's coaching other pastors. And I've read some of his books and I have a lot of respect but I don't have a lot of exposure because it's only what I hear through a message or what I, what I read in his books. It's sort of like what I know of you from Facebook, only what you want to show me, right? Facebook is not much exposure unless you're, like, inappropriate on Facebook, and then it's way too much exposure, right? But, but it's not much exposure when you just read about people and you know them from afar, but that's how I know Andy. But Andy's been pretty influential, because there's things I think, Andy, you said that so perfectly. I'm going to steal it. Andy, you know, you're, you're, you're right about... And now, Andy doesn't get... He's right about everything. And here's the deal with Andy. I don't know. The reason, you know, the exposure's so low, that respect is fragile. Because if I find out he's cheating on his wife, that respect is gone. If I find out he's stealing money from his church, things I don't know. I don't know how he's conducting his life. I only know what he's showing me. So it's very fragile. But the systems and the way he leads church and the way he can, a lot of things I really do respect about him. So, so here it is to sum it up. If you want it, if you think about you want to be an influence in someone else's life, the first thing is live a life that's authentically worthy of respect. Dads, just for a minute. Dads, <laughs> the way you love your life is going to create a respect or a lack of respect from your children. It will. If you screw that up, and wives, same thing. For, you know, if, if you screw up the respect thing, and it can happen in a minute, you can lose every bit of respect you ever had in a minute. 
Some of you have some level of respect for me or I wouldn't be, you'd go to another church, right? But if you find out I'm stealing money or having an affair, you're, you're done with me. You're done with what I teach. You're going, Doug, you're, you, there's no more influence for you. And everything you've taught us, we're going to second guess. And everything you've tried to model, we're going, well, he was a big fake. And it gets, do you see what I'm saying? All it takes is a second to, so live a life. I'm not saying be perfect. Live a life worthy of respect. And when you screw up, own up. Because I can respect that. Invest the time in the people that you want to influence. Figure out how to give them the very best. The more you want to influence them, the more you should give them the best of your time. Right? We'll talk more about that. And then love. And love is always costly. Love is, is wanting the best for them and putting yourself in a position to help them get to the best, whoever you love. Now, it's going to be different. You know, you're not going to give that. If you're a teacher, you're not going to give that to every student, but you're going to give elements of it to every student, appropriate amounts of these things to every student, right? When I look at that list, the one thought I had was, wow, is this inconvenient? Being an influence in other people's lives is very inconvenient. It will cost us if we want to do that. But for followers of Jesus, what rides in the back of these three things is, are we salty? Are we light? And what rides on the back of it for everybody is when we get old and we got our canes and we're banging them on the, on the floor going, I, what do I regret? What am I glad I did? This is going to come to play. How did I influence? How did I love? What kind of worthiness, respect did I have? And did I spend the time with the right people doing the right things? Or did I just give it all to the office? All to golf can't believe you said that <laughs> but it's true all right so that's that's the seminar part now i got to turn a corner with you because this is really what i want us to catch today but we needed to hear all that to be able to put it in today so the corner we're turning is this and it was such an aha moment for me when i thought about this it's this the very same principles of influence apply to me and my relationship with god the exact same dynamics apply so here's what i'm saying the level of respect I have for God will have a huge amount to say about how much I let God influence me. The level of exposure, the, what I know and see God doing and, and what I read in his word, so I know who God is and what he's done and the kind of God, the more exposure I have to God, even in worship and praying and singing, all those things, the more exposure I have, the more I do my life with God, the more influence I'm going to allow him to have. And the more I understand, the bigger picture I get of God's love for me, that red part, the more I'm going to love him. The more I'm going to let him speak into my life and trust him. And when I have the trifecta going, all three of those things at the same time, then God can really lead me and change me, and I'm much more responsive. Now, someone in the room can go, what about the Holy Spirit? Yes, of course. But the Holy Spirit uses these things. The Holy Spirit uses these things to open up our hearts and our, and, and our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, we'll never respect God, expose ourselves to God and be exposed to Him or experience this love of God. That is the Holy Spirit's business, but, but we can lean into it, right? So this is throughout Scripture. When you read the Bible, it's just like a new lens. So what does this say about respecting God? What does this say about learning about who God is and what does it say about the love of God? And when you read the Bible... It'll start to jump out at you if you just kind of fine-tune a little bit with this. So I'm going to show you a passage, Deuteronomy 10, and the, 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 the surroundings of this passage is 
Moses is at the Jordan River. He's led them out of slavery, out of Israel. They're on the run. They're about to go into the promised land. Moses doesn't actually get to go, but he thinks he's going to. He gathers all of Israel, about 2 million people. He goes, huddle up. And they all come in like this. And Moses gives this speech to them. Now, I'm going to show you the speech, or at least a lot of it. And I'm going to color code it. When you see blue text, what does it mean? It's respect. When you see yellow text, what does it mean? Exposure. It's like a revelation, an understanding of who God is. And when you see red, it's love. It's, got, it's, it's Moses reminding them about, about love. So here's the speech. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight it. I'll talk about it in the beginning. And then as we go through, I'm just going to let you see the colors instead of me talking about it. And now Israel, right? Here we are. Here we are at the river. And now Israel. What does the Lord require of you and me, us? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. It's blue. It's respect. It's, it's not, believe me, God wants you to fear him, but not fearful, so I'm running away from God. That, God never wants you to run away. It's fear and humility. And you're God, and I'm a piece of dust, and yeah, I, this, I'm afraid, but it's out of respect. And I'm, and I'm drawn to you because of this respect, fear thing going on. So he requires only that you live in fear of the Lord your God, make God God, and live in a way, by the way, I underline the part that is, this is, so this is the influence, right? So because you fear the Lord your God, live in a way that pleases him. Be influenced by that and please him and love him, I should have underlined that, and serve him, it should have been underlined, with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey, it's underlined, this is an influence, the Lord's commands and decrees with a little bit of fear and trembling and out of respect for I am giving you, uh, that I'm giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens uh, and the earth and everything in it belong to the Lord your God. It's yellow and blue. Because you might just be learning that. God created everything. Look at the skies, look at the stars, look at the earth and don't think, well, this is all just luck. Instead, when I look at it, I go, there has to be a creator. Because look at everything. And they belong because God created them. They belong to him. And that makes me respect him. And it also informs me what kind of a God, the God, the only God that I serve. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors in red as the object of his love. And he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident. By the way, so he chose your ancestors and he chose you. You can say that. God chose your ancestors, and he chose you. God chose my ancestors, and he specifically has chosen me. And above all other nations, as is evident, and therefore, change your hearts. Because of his love, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Because of his love, let it influence you. Right? For the Lord your God, the, excuse me, the Lord God is the God of gods. We know all these other little nations and tribes have their little gods that they worship, but you worship the one true God. He's the God of God, the Lord of lords, both respect and information there. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows, they may not have known that, ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He cares about justice. Right, so that's a yellow coming through. Boy, that's so good to know about about God. He cares about justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. And he said, because of that love and because of that justice side of God, 
you too must show love to foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. He reminds them of where they came from. How do they treat you? You became slaves. Don't do that to other people. Care about them. So all of that it starts to pop out when you read Scripture that the, the blue text will start to pop, the yellow text, the yellow and blue together, and the love. Is it clean? Not always. It's combined, but it's there. And then you start to see, and because of that, I'm supposed to do what? Be influenced. How? And it tells you in the, in the text. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's the Old Testament fear God stuff. Come on, Doug, what about the New Testament? Well, let me just bring out the New Testament. Let's start with respect. Jesus is up on a mountain. He's teaching. There's all kinds of people who want to be his followers. And he turns to them and he says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more than that after you, uh, you know, to you after that. What's he saying? Well, after you're dead, they can dance on your grave, but that's about it. Right? That's what they can do. He also kind of, it sounds like he's taking your life lightly. Like, hey, don't worry about those people who can only kill you. That's all they can do. You think, that's enough. Right? But his point would be, you're already dying. It's just a matter of time. Right? All they can do is speed it up on you. That's all they can do. And instead he goes, but I'll tell you whom to fear, whom to hold in the highest respect, who to pay attention to. Fear God. This is from Jesus. Fear God, who has the power to kill you, not only end your mortal life, and then throw you into hell. And he's not saying, oh, and he can't wait to do that. That's not what the text is saying. He's saying he wants anything but that for you. He's the one to fear. He's the one to respect. He's the one to allow to influence your life. So there's the respect piece in the New Testament. Let's go to exposure. Exposure, John 14. Uh, let me give you a background first. It's the last night of Jesus on earth. He's with the disciples. They're having the Last Supper. It's very intimate. Jesus says things like, I no longer call you my servants, you guys. You're my friends. And when friends get together, they reveal things to each other. They, they're, they're, they expose right, the truth about their lives, and they don't hold secrets from each other. So tonight I'm going to tell you some things that aren't secrets anymore. And he goes, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And he's talking about heaven. And he's kind of telling them, there's a room with your name on it, guys. Each of you have a room with your name on it. Right? And, and I want you to, to be there. And this is my father's house. And my father is good. And all of a sudden, Philip speaks up in John 14, verse 8. He's, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Now remember, he's speaking to his friends and he's about to reveal things. So Jesus looks, replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Some of you wonder how we get this one God in three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is part of it. This is the, Jesus saying the Father and I are, are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show them to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. He's giving Philip insider information it's exposure he's he's being transparent with philip philip do you understand who i am now do you, do you get it and philip's going i do now i do it's an overwhelming thought that you are the father and you and god are one but jesus was revealing himself to his friends and he's revealed himself that way to us and the last one of course love in the new testament isn't very hard to find there's all kinds of passages let me take you to first john 4 9 through 11 god showed how much 
he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. He gave his life. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And when you understand that, and when that enters your heart, it starts to have an influence in your life. Dear friends, since, we, since God loved us that much, here's the influence, we surely ought to love each other because of the love of the Father. So that's the New Testament. It's the same as the Old. Respect God. Learn everything you can about God and hang with God and pray to God and know God and, and love God. And for my way of saying it is, I respect God when I learn or remember who he is and what he's done. I can't help but fall on my knees and go, you are the one and only true God. And I know God through Jesus. The more I know about Jesus, the more I know about God, period, right? I know about God through the Bible. That's why we read it and study it and teach from it. And I experience life with God as I seek him and those who seek find and I follow him, which is an invitation to us. And I pray to him and I do my life trying to live it in the presence of God. It starts to influence me and I love God more every time I get a little more understanding of how much he loves me. The bigger my view of God's love for me. And when those three things come together, I'm in a place where I surrender. God, influence me, change me. I want to become the person that you made me to be because I respect you, because I know who you are, and because I've experienced your love. Now I'm going to give you some homework in a minute. But the first piece of homework is going to be this, to answer this question. I don't want you to answer it necessarily right now because I think it's a serious question. The question is, do I want God to influence me? Do I really want that? Or do I just want to get to heaven? And then live my life without influence, right? Or do I just want to play and dabble at church? Or do I just want to look spiritual? Or do I just want to live my life my way, go my direction? Do I really want God to influence me, to change me? Good answer. (laughs) Save your homework for later. All right, so (laughs) before you answer that question, it was a good answer, but before you answer that question, I want you to see this video of someone who prayed exactly that. Watch this. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, but I want to. So I go to God and I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son? Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. No, who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. <laughs> you're not God. No, I am. Okay, uh, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15:9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. You are God. What, what's that about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Let's get busy. Okay. I'm going to bring up things in your life that don't belong in your life. And... Uh, Start right here. Your anger. Ow! I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrongest of ways. You compare yourself to others instead of me, and you lie. You tell little white lies. You're so afraid of confrontation. You're becoming a people pleaser. Okay, time out. Um, I think you've done some really good work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? 
I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, but when I look like Jesus, people get uncomfortable and I don't think I'm supposed to do that. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. No, what I'm saying is you've grown me to here. Maybe we take a break from each other for a while, all right? And then I'll stay here and then you come back and we can grow some more. You never just take a break from me. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but you never just plateau. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, no, chisel. All right, here we go. Can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Okay, sorry. Mm. This right here, that secret sin, that thing that you run to whenever you're hurting, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. Do you want to keep rearranging this in your life or do you want me to chisel it out? It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. This this hurts, okay? I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you are doing in your life that are insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. I know, but I've let you down so many times, God. No. You were never holding me up. Okay, then chisel away. But just be prepared for what you're gonna find in there. Cause I know who's inside there. God, I get up every morning and I hate what I see in the mirror cause inside is a scared, stupid kid. And I try, I try, but I can't, I can't be who everybody else expects for me to be. God, I can't even be who I wanna be, much less who you created me to be. So chisel away and just know what you're gonna find in there. You have listened to so many voices, so many critics for far too long that are not for me. You've bought into the lie. You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night, at the end of the day, you think you're junk. I don't take time to make junk. I want to show you something about my love. Reach in your back pocket. This is a, it's a page from a notebook when I was in college. How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. Dear God, did I hear you right? You said you want to use me. But I feel really useless. But if you can take this life, this mess of a life I have, and do with it what you want, I love you, God. I love you, too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. It's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there, and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself, or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life, the way I made you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. You are an original masterpiece. So here's, here's my question. What made him say chisel? What made him say chisel? What made him say influence me? And the answer comes back to respect 
and exposure and love. He knows a little bit of who God is, and he knows how he loves him, and he respects him, and he says, chisel, chisel. So your homework, do I want that? Do I want God to influence me? That's, that's between you and God. That's a prayer. That's a position in life. And then you'll do the things that helps increase those three dynamics. The second homework is just this. Take time to diagram your relationship with God. Which one's the biggest, the respect, the exposure, or the love? How would your circles look when it comes to how you approach God? But start when you were six years old. And then do one for when you were like 15. And then do one in your mid-20s. Now I know I'm past some of you already. And then do one at your current age. And see if it's changed over the years, if we've grown. Next week, we're going to talk about how we influence each other rather than be influenced by God. But let's, let's stand together. We'll pray. God, we stand before you as the ones that you say um, you love. You love us. And you are God, and you are worthy, whether we, whether we believe in you or whether we don't believe in you. It doesn't change who you are. You are worthy of our fear and our respect. And God, we need to know you. And I know you're with us all the time, but you, we need you to reveal yourself to us. And we need to understand more and more of your love. And God, some of us right now, we just say, please chisel. Be gentle, but chisel. In Christ's name, amen. amen. All right, have a good day. Good week. Beauty where beauty was and stone. This much I